So Sunday confessions, I love to dance. I've got no moves to speak of, but I have a decent sense of rhythm. And I don't really care that I don't have cool skill. I just love, love, love to move my body to music, to let loose. Mostly in private, you know, empty rooms or fields or forests with a great set of headphones and no witnesses. Sometimes at home, occasionally at a wedding. This love in my heart but lack of skill in my feet led me several many years ago to convince Carl that we should take swing dance lessons. This will be brilliant. I'll learn how to actually do and get good at the thing I love. How hard can it be? It was horrible. I had to think so hard through every step, every move, every beat, every turn. There was a right way to do everything, and I was not catching it. The feelings of freedom and lightness that I love about dancing rapidly disappeared the more I tried to master it. It took all of the fun and the joy and the life out of it for me. At the end of those few months, I didn't just hate swing dancing, I kind of hated dancing altogether for a while. It feels good to feel like you know what you're doing, doesn't it? When you've mastered something, and not so good when you feel like you're fumbling around in the dark, no clue what's going on, unsure of the steps, unable to master the dance. And that's like a minor dilemma when we're talking about swing dancing, but what about in the places where it really matters, like life and God, and life with God? You know, if we are people who take our faith seriously, isn't that the place we kind of want to master things most of all? That might even be why some of us are drawn to faith spheres. You know, because we want to feel that we understand the world, that we know what's going on, that we know how to live, that, that we have the right beliefs, that, that our steps are sure, and that certainty can be had and held. Certainty is such an intoxicating concept, closely linked with a sense of control. Now, certainty feels safe. It feels strong. It makes us feel secure. You know, it gives answers that you can count on. It stabilizes what would otherwise feel unwieldy and unpredictable. And I think we feel like in order to master our faith, we need to have a God that we can be certain of. And I don't mean certain that he's there, but like certain of the shape and the size and the boundaries and the ways of him. We need to have a God we understand. And so we go to the place we go, right? To to this book. You know, surely if we study this thing, we can become sure of who and how God is. We can find that certainty. I mean, it's in black and white on the page. And so we study and we learn and we form and we know all about the God inside this book or we think we do. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? I mean, in John 8, 32, Jesus says, when you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. So shouldn't we apply all our best efforts to dispelling the fog and becoming certain about what's true? Shouldn't we figure out exactly where all the lines are and, and draw them as clearly as we can? Won't that bring us closer? Won't that grow us deeper in Christ? The only problem is... God doesn't work that way. As soon as we've got a God that we can fit into a box and explain and draw all the lines around, who who we can predict with complete accuracy, then that is something else besides God that we're holding in our hands. 
We can see this play out quite clearly in the Gospels when Jesus showed up and seemed to fly in the face of all that was understood about God by the experts in understanding God, right? I mean, who were the ones that not only missed Jesus, but actively conspired against him? The Pharisees, religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the ones who had dedicated their lives to studying and knowing and nailing down all the specifics about God, didn't even recognize when the divine was right there in their midst with flesh on. Jesus kept not being who they expected him to be, who they had learned God to be. He broke Sabbath rules left, right, and center, healing and harvesting. Would God break God's rules? How does that make sense? He welcomed and honored children as if they had equal worth to adult men. That seemed upside down. He touched the unclean. He forgave the unrepentant. He he offered the intimacy of friendship to tax collectors and scandalous women. He constantly ignored elites and embraced outsiders. He praised expensive perfume being dumped out on his feet. He flipped over tables in church. The Pharisees had worked to diligently understand God, and this was not it, except that it was. But God was going off script, as God seems prone to do. And that's mostly because our scripts for God are always woefully inadequate, sometimes even totally inaccurate. I think here's the thing. I think sometimes the tighter you try to hold on to something, sometimes the more likely you are to lose it. I mean, ever try holding a bird tightly in your hand, trying to force a cat to snuggle? Ever cling so tightly to a relationship that you squeeze the life right out of it? No, and we do the same thing with our need for certainty about exactly who and how God is. I mean, we can have an understanding of God in our hand. And even if it's wonderful and good, it's certainly incomplete. It may not even be accurate. And when something comes along to challenge or shake it up a bit, or sometimes even just simply over the course of time, our instinct can be to grip that understanding we have tighter and tighter and tighter. And do you notice what happens? You know, I immediately changed the shape of it by the tightness of my grip on it. No, I've distorted it without meaning to by only intending to hold on to what I think I know. But needing that security of certainty, I hold on too tight. And then I squeeze out space for the God who is ever expanding, ever recreating, ever revealing new facets of God's self every minute of every day. Because I'm clinging too tightly to what I knew yesterday. The tighter we grip our concept of God, the the more we distort the shape of it. Boxing Jesus in and, and creating an idol of our understanding instead of being open to continuously seeing more and more of the full true God. And I wind up with a God in my hand who's not only tiny and distorted, but likely made in my own image. Rather than experiencing the vast, ever unfolding wonder of who God really is. When we 
think that certainty is the goal. And then we, we try to get there as fast as we can. But the more certain we get, the more we actually close ourselves off from deeper knowing. Because we think, I've got that. You know, I understand that piece. And so we stop listening and looking and, and allowing our understanding to grow in the ever-expanding light of God's presence. And that drive for certainty actually puts space between us as well. Right? When I'm certain about what's right, I inevitably judge others according to those standards. When we're sure that our understanding is the true one and someone comes along with a different belief or experience, you know, rather than holding our understanding with an open hand and examining it in light of the other person's experience, too often we instead just instinctually grip ours tighter and even back away from the other person, creating division does us no good, this certainty. If we're looking for mastery in our life of faith, I think we are looking in the wrong direction. Now, the Jesus life is all about surrender, not conquering. It's about embracing a loving humility, not wielding an arrogant certainty. It's about understanding that God is and always will be a mystery, but one that we're invited into. In the book of Job, the writer says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They're deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. And then in Ecclesiastes, I saw all the works and ways of God, and it became clear to me that no one is able to grasp fully this mystery called life. Try as we might, we cannot discover what has been done under the sun. Even if the wise claim to know, they really haven't discovered it. This is good news, that God is bigger than we can understand. Now, letting go of certainty doesn't need to unmoor us. If we embrace the letting go with wonder, it can lead to the widened sight of humility could put us into the posture of curious, open-hearted, open-eyed, open-handed seekers of God. The God who, while he cannot be mastered, invites us into the mystery of knowing relationally, of continually growing and adding to our sight the glimpses and the gold that are all around us every day. And that includes the gold found inside of doubt. Now, doubt's can rattle our cage. They're never comfortable. And so while our tendency is often to ignore them, fear them, maybe try to fake over top of them, the truth is that we are far better served when we simply embrace the wholehearted honesty that they offer us. We can sit with them, hear what they have to tell us, you know, doubts can push us deeper into truth-seeking, into what is more real. Learning to make friends with your doubts, looking them full in the face can be painful, yes, and is also absolutely the only path to life. And I don't mean to imply that if you sit with your doubts long enough, you'll get answers. You might. You might not. But... There is a companioning presence of the Spirit of God 
that can still meet you and hold you in that place. There is a beauty to honesty that gives both you and God plenty to work with. John 8, 32, when, when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, kind of goes with a companion verse, I think, in John 14, 6, where he also says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, Jesus wasn't inviting us to stockpile intellectual certainties, but to come close and know him, the truth. Are we willing to let God be who God is? instead of who we want him to be, who we think he is? Can we let God continue to reveal God's self to us? You know, can we ditch that need for certainty, knowing we'll never know everything anyway, and instead embrace humility with God and one another? Now, can we trust who Jesus is without knowing exactly what all that means? And I know that's a big ask, but isn't it the ask of every deep and real relationship, space to be who we are. Isn't that what love does? So how do we learn to hold on to God as we absolutely want to, but with those open and not clenched hands? I think by cultivating a life of curiosity and wonder that draws us closer to both God and others. And quite possibly that happens by embracing your inner mystic. Because mystics lean into mystery. And I don't know if that term seems a little weird to you. It simply means someone who has a direct experience with God, an experiential knowing in their inmost being, in a space beyond the intellect, beyond the outer, sometimes beyond explanation or words, an experience of God that affects the core of who they are. In Brian Zahn's book, uh, When Everything's on Fire, which I highly recommend, he says this, religion that resides solely in the intellect is incapable of sustaining faith in our disenchanted age. In a secular epoch, the Christian will either be a mystic or nothing at all. The tsunami of secularism scouring Western Europe and North America will not abate anytime soon. This spiritual crisis will not be survived by clever apologetics or by waging misguided culture wars or pining away for an irretrievable past. If the Christian faith is to survive the tsunami of secularism, it will be because Christians have their own experience with God. The faith of the future will be sustained by an experience, not an argument. He later goes on to say that mysticism is not a freakish outlier on the far edge of Christianity or the exclusive domain for a rare elite. The mystical life is the normal Christian life. There's a story in Exodus 3, one of my favorite mystical scenes in the whole Bible. Exodus is a book about the journey from oppression into freedom. And in this scene, a man named Moses, whose life and faith have not seemed to pan out like they should have, is out tending sheep in the desert when he suddenly notices from afar a bush that seems to be on fire and yet isn't burning up. Moses is immediately curious, captivated by the sight. Verse 3 says, Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And so he makes the choice to move closer to this thing that draws him in. And as he gets near, he hears the voice of God who tells him to take off his shoes because the ground on which he's standing is holy ground. 
Immediately, Moses responds, unbuckling his sandals and opening himself up to the experience of God unfolding before him. And then they enter into a conversation together that will change the course of not only Moses' life, but the life of the entire nation of Israel. It's a great story. You can go home and read the rest of it today. A mystical encounter if ever there was one. But here's the thing. This is not just a long ago and far away story. I mean, it is, but, but there are burning bushes all around us every day. The presence of God is alive and well, wild and active, waiting to be encountered and experienced here, now. I have a friend who likes to say, the bush was always on fire. It's just that Moses finally noticed. And I don't know if that's true, but it would make a lot of sense given who God is. All of the ground that we are standing on is holy. God is everywhere reaching out to us, longing to unleash deep encounters that transform us from the inside out, to help us see more clearly who he is and who we are in him, and to see and be empowered to respond to the mission in front of us, the the journey humanity is still making from oppression to freedom. God is not a certainty to be mastered, but a mystery to be entered into. And so the invitation for us is to draw closer to that mystery, as Moses did, to notice, to take off our shoes and whatever else gets in the way, to pursue this God who will never be fully understood, but can and desires to be deeply and personally known. We don't need certainty. We need proximity. So learn to lean into your God-given mystic nature, to, to the God beyond your understanding. Show up to the relationship, show up to the places where God can be found, in nature, in the scriptures, in, in faith community, in your neighbor, in sacrificial service, in all of the rhythms and disciplines of a life of faith. Seek God and expect to find him in the experiential mystical realm every bit as much as your intellectual mind, maybe more. Don't just know about God. Give your whole self to deeply knowing God. I don't know if I would have stuck longer with the swing lessons if I might have caught the hang of it and refound my joy. Here's what I do know that has radically altered my life over the past two or three years. Learning to say I don't know has saved my faith. I've always thought that embracing uncertainty would create an unstable, disorienting way to live. I thought it was failure, giving up, you know, a lesser path that hopefully someday I could fix as I figured things out. And while there has indeed been a boatload of disorientation, what I've also found is that I don't know has become the most liberating, life-giving, honest, raw expression of faith I've ever felt. And it has not drifted me away, but brought me so much closer to Jesus and to the people around me than than living in the black and white certainty ever did. I am slowly discovering the beauty of surrender. And it has reignited intimacy in its honesty and in its freedom. It's not given me a weaker faith, but a stretchier and far more real and resilient faith in the God I know so much less than I thought I did about, but who I know more intimately in my bones than I ever have before. I don't know, but I see that bush burning over there. And I don't know, but when I take off my shoes and put my feet on the ground, I feel life ricocheting through my veins. 
And I don't know, but as I take a step closer and then another, that burning bush reignites something holy in me. And I don't know, but I know that when I let go of the pursuit of mastery and surrender to the mystery, abandoning certainty, I move from death to life again and again and again. And so if you will allow me, I want to close by praying a blessing of curiosity over you from Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt. Blessed are the curious, for their curiosity honors reality. Blessed are the uncertain and those with second thoughts, for their minds are still open. Blessed are the wanderers, for they shall find what is wonderful. Blessed are those who question their answers, for their horizons will expand forever. Blessed are those who often feel foolish, for they are wiser than those who always think themselves wise. Blessed are those who are scolded, suspected, and labeled as heretics by the gatekeepers. For the prophets and mystics were treated in the same way by the gatekeepers of their day. Blessed are those who know their unknowing, for they shall have the last laugh. Blessed are the perplexed, for they have reached the frontiers of contemplation. Blessed are they who become cynical about their cynicism and suspicious of their suspicion, for they will enter the second innocence. Blessed are the doubters, for they shall see through false gods. And blessed are the lovers, for they shall see God everywhere. Amen.